Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Here I am, the golden stallion of the tech world, ready for another exciting episode of Sovereign Tech. We, this is episode 28 now. I'm going to stop counting at some point. But, uh, you know, very, very exciting to have been going on for, for this long. Uh, as I constantly hear that there are podcasters, and I can kind of understand this, there are podcasters who say it's very, very difficult to come out with a show every single week. Um, far be it for me to understand how Free Talk Live does it, where, you know, I mean, not that that's... Uh, a podcast only um but how they do seven nights a week is just incredible and of course i'm more than happy to be a part of that uh, including being on the sunday night show which uh recently has been announced this is very exciting i'm sure uh, many of my listeners uh, have already heard this but I, I find it very exciting that sunday night has been to some degree vindicated in that um, it is the most downloaded uh, average on average based upon certain statistics. Um, it is the most downloaded episode of Free Talk Live generally. Um, and w what do I mean by vindicated? Well, there's a lot of people that hate the Sunday, apparently a lot of loud people that, um, that hate, that actually supposedly hate the Sunday night show for various reasons. Um, you know, and I could, I could make some very crass statements as to, as to why I think that may be, but there's no need for that. Uh, what I want to do right now, we do not have an opening story this week. Uh, but what I do have are opening thoughts and I want to talk about pork fest. Maybe you've heard all the pork fest information you could ever possibly want to hear. Maybe you're at pork fest and you're just done and you don't want to know anything more about pork fest. If so, you know, the, the drill sovereign tech has sections and you can just go ahead and skip to the next one if you don't want to hear about pork fest. But I do think that. I have, you know, maybe some unique or at least uh, little represented views on Porkfest, uh, as far as I know. And you know, I only say little represented because I don't really hear it from much of anywhere else. Um, not to say anyone else doesn't think the same way uh, or that they have to, but... You know, I, I, I do think I, I have some perspectives that perhaps you'd want to hear. So anyway, this was my second Porkfest this year. Very, very, you know, and Porkfest, when it comes up to Porkfest, it's always very exciting. Um, I remember, I mean, when I was planning on going to my first one, uh, I knew, which which was last year, which would have been, I guess, 2012. Um, you know, I it, for, for the 2012 Porkfest, I had wanted to go to Porkfest in 2011 and I knew I wasn't going to make that one. And so I was like, okay, but I'm going to make 2012. And so I had a really big lead up, lots of excitement and Porkfest in many ways. When I went to my first one right now, we're talking, now we're talking about Porkfest 2012. What I just attended was Porkfest 2013 or Porkfest X. Uh, which kudos to the marketing team on that because I actually liked how Porkfest X looked very much like um, the X-Men, the Xavier School for Gifted Children. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, the, the branding uh, and the symbology all looked like that. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but but I certainly uh, didn't, didn't pass my uh, comic book laden gaze. And... But with Porkfest 2012, which was last year's and my, and again, my first Porkfest, 
I felt when I got there, you know, I was, I was very, very, again, very excited to be there. And it was still a great time. I had a tremendous time. I had a tremendous time this year too, but going around, I mean, it was like 90 degrees outside and it was very strange. Cause like a lot of people, now the attitude was different this year. I'll get into that. But last year in 2012, the attitude was very, I don't even know how to dis, how to exactly describe it. Other than that, there, I felt like there was a lot of, um, like military tenting, like they would have up kind of like the, the, the mesh leafy, um, you know, camouflage that goes over like a tent and all that. There was a lot of that. Um, there were some t-shirts for sale that I thought were very, very militaristic. Um, a lot of people were wearing like camouflage and then there were just tons of guns everywhere. Gigantic, massive guns. You know, I mean, take, take your pick of the rifle and it was probably there. And then again, with the heat it being, you know, last year's pork fest was very, very hot. Uh, you know, in the, in the nineties at points, I think it was, it's not unfair to say, um, and then just a lot of the verbiage going around and I couldn't help, but feel, and, and I've, I've made this comment before in various areas, but I, I almost felt like I was in Afghanistan. Um, like it, it felt like a base camp, like a military base camp. And I, that did make me feel very uncomfortable. Fortunately, I met tremendous people there and, and hung out with, with, with great people, uh, last year, but the overall tone was very, for me, very unwelcoming. Um, and it's interesting because this is a peace movement, right? The Liberty movement's a peace movement. And like the whole thing is that, you know, no, there's no trouble at Porkfest because everybody's peaceful and you know, we can show you that. Well, that's not what I was being shown last year. I was being shown pretty much an army, you know, at Rogers campground. <laughs> and I was being shown something that again, looked very much like a, like a, like a standard base camp. Um, and I, I mean, for, for a group that's peaceful and wants peace and wants to achieve their goals through nonviolent means to be armed, walking around armed to the teeth, you know, I mean, there's a disconnect there and no one has to even say anything. Just take a picture and you'll get it. <laughs> and so I, I thought that was, that was a very, very strange thing. Now, again, is Brian Sovereign saying you can't own guns? No, I'm not saying that. All right. I'm just saying that like, you know, take, take a look around and, you know, kind of like Mark Twain, if you see, you know, like Mark Twain said, um, if you suddenly find yourself in the majority, uh, maybe you need to rethink your life a little bit and see what's going on. That that's not his exact quote, but, but, uh, yeah, just, just look around and go, yeah, you know, maybe this isn't like the kind of message I want to send out. So anyway, th that was, that was my initial, you know, feeling of pork fest. And, and I, and I left again, albeit I had a great time. I did leave feeling a little, a little cold. I, I, I felt, um, I did not feel that I was in a peaceful gathering, uh, when, when I was there, but then let's fast forward to this year. How was pork fest 2013? I didn't feel there were that many guns, no, nowhere near as many as last year. Um, the weather, of course, was significantly cooler. It was actually, in my opinion, perfect weather. Um, and also, 
you know, that like that whole feel of a military base camp was gone. There weren't that many vendors. There was also, there was these guys who played like there. I, I forget the name of the, they had a restaurant. They were actually kind of famous cause they had been coming for a few years and like, they'd have a chainsaw and they'd be, you know, running the chainsaw and everything with a blade on, by the way, when it's, if it's an ad gimmick, there's no need to have a blade on the, on the damn thing. You know, uh, they weren't there this year. So that maybe that helped with the attitude because a lot of actually to the credit of a lot of people, a lot of people had a real problem with them being there and that's probably why they just weren't welcome this year. Uh, and so that wasn't there. Uh, the merchandise that was around the swag, you know, uh, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of it with a lot of those military tones, like, like one shirt in particular from 2012 that I really didn't like. Um, and I'm not saying Adam, uh, Kokesh was like behind the shirt, but I really, I thought this shirt was just so, uh, you know, over the top overbearing in a really bad way. Uh, it said it had like him doing, I guess Adam Kokesh has like this famous stance that he takes where his hands are raised up and he's like yelling, uh, because yeah, yelling gets politicians to listen to you. Um, but he has this like stance where, you know, he's, he, he you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm sure any of my listeners know, know what I'm talking about. And it was an olive drab shirt and it said Marine take the hill. And then it said Adam or Kokesh for Senate or something. Uh, and again, beyond the ridiculousness of running for political office, um, the thing just had like this really like, you know, we're going to take DC when, you know, let, let DC fall on its own. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no need to take the Capitol uh, or take the hill. And, but I didn't really get any, I didn't see anything like that this year. And I felt overall, a lot of people were, you know, it, it definitely felt far more peaceful. You know, it, I didn't get that vibe, that military vibe this year or the, that militant vibe. Uh, I really didn't. And in fact, there was even a, uh, um, there was kind of a debate on Thursday night's free talk live from the week of pork fest where Chris Cantwell and Ian Freeman, uh, debated over, you know, are, is violence, you know, the way to freedom. And Chris Cantwell was pro-violence. Ian Freeman, of course, was not pro-violence, uh, credit to him. And I, you know, I listened to it. I, I didn't see it live, but I listened to it and I thought, you know, Chris Cantwell's point just, just didn't, didn't hammer home. And there was, you know, there's, there's a live audience at Porkfest that you can hear, uh, that, that'll like cheer for something or laugh at something when you're saying something clever. And I was pleased that, and maybe people were just, you know, they didn't know which way to go with all this, but I was pleased that like a lot of the times when Chris Cantwell would make statements that were very, you know, that, that were like supposed to be gotcha statements or they were supposed to be statements that were, you know, for effect or something. Um, I didn't hear any cheers or jeers I you know, I didn't, there was no response from the crowd. So maybe they were also captivated. Maybe there wasn't really a crowd there. Like I said, I didn't see it myself. Um, but I was happy that like, he wasn't getting like, you know, rounds of applause for saying, no, you know, the time's going to come when we got to raise, raise arms. We got to pick up the guns, you know, uh, so, so that, that, that was comforting too. uh, other things with pork fest. I mean, that's kind of like the main thing that I wanted to get out there is that I did not feel that militant vibe because that was so off putting, uh, in 2012 and in, and in 2013, it just, you know, I, I didn't feel it. 
I, I, I really didn't. And, you know, as far as other things, um, there was the, the sex dome, which is becoming, I think, very quickly notorious. Um, that was there. The, the sex dome was, was being run by someone. It was way off, you know, in the, in the back, uh, backfield of Rogers campground, uh, a good distance away from, from really any, any other camping sites. And, uh, that was really, really, really well done. Um, I was very, very pleased with, with how that turned out. And it was a literal dome. Like the, this, this person constructed a dome, uh, did a whole uh, laser lighting system in there that turned out really, really well. I mean, it had, it had this, and, and, and hopefully some of the listeners will get this reference because it had such a Logan's run feel to it. And in fact, I didn't get to talk to the, I'll call him the proprietor. I didn't get to talk to the proprietor about it, but I wondered if he didn't do it on purpose, if he didn't make it look like Logan's Run, because uh, I agree, Logan's Run is such a sexy film. Uh, in fact, in many ways, other than Forbidden Planet, I consider it the only, you know, like serious science fiction film that existed before Star Wars. And so it had that very Logan's Run vibe where, you know, the music was nice and, you know, lots of, I mean, there, there wasn't, when I went there and I only went in there for a few minutes, there wasn't any, any, you know, really big sexual acts going on. There were some people cuddling, a couple of people sleeping, uh, there, you know, there were nude men, um, all of which, I mean, everybody just acted very, very comfortable. There was a massage going on, uh, being a very well done massage, I thought. Uh, there, there, there was, you know, all kinds of just cool little things happening, uh, people relaxing and, you know, I, I really, you, you want to say it's not that big a deal, right? <laughs> but at the same time, I thought, I mean, it's, it's not so much a big deal to me, not, not, not in my mind because, you know, I, I mean, living like, or not, I don't want to say living that kind of way, uh, you know, just enjoying that kind of atmosphere. I mean, I can do that. And, and, and that's, that's relatively second nature to me because, you know, to some degree, you know, I don't know why that isn't more popular. I do know why it's not more popular, but you know, I, I would wish it to be, to be a little more popular. Um, and, but it was so nice to see lots of people who just went in there and I think at first, maybe you saw some shock on their, on their faces, but then they just relaxed and they realized, Hey, okay, you know, you know, this is, this is fine. People can walk around naked. Men can, you know, can rock out with their cocks out and it's no problem. And, and that, that was really, really great. I, I, I can't, I, you know, I don't think that can be overstated. And in fact, I'd almost want to say that, that more important than any of the talks, not that I caught, I did catch a talk with John Durant or some of it. And, and John Durant is, is, was, was very, very good at what he did. Uh, he had some vegetarian trolls on John Durant. If you don't know, he's writing a, a book, I believe it's called the paleo manifesto, which is coming out in September. Uh, I will be grabbing a copy. I think it looks great. Uh, I'd also like to have him on this show. I may do that in the future. Um, but he got trolled by, since he's big on the paleo diet and the paleo lifestyle, uh, he got trolled by some vegetarians and that was, you know, that was unfortunate, but, um, but that talk was good. But anyway, but I think more than any of the talks, I think the sex dome made such a statement about personal liberty that that just wasn't anywhere else. 
you know, outside of maybe the, uh, the episode of pork therapy that, that was recorded live from there, uh, which I happened to be on. And it was a fantastic episode. Stephanie had great guests on. She, she pulled off a great show. Uh, there were people again, you know, and, and all interrelated because people came, were on there that a guest was on there that came out and said she was bisexual. Um, you know, I mean, which takes tremendous courage to do, especially, you know, at a campground in upstate New England, you know, with, with 1500, 1600 people, you know, that can hear it. Cause there's speaker systems that, you know, you can hear it pretty well or all, you know, around the campground. Um, and, and so, so again, there was just this overall feeling of people achieving personal liberty. There wasn't so much political talk. Maybe if you went to the actual talks, you'd get that. But in, in the, <laughs> I almost want to say in the inner circles of, uh, you know, of, of pork fest there, um, you know, there, there was, there was some real personal liberty going on. The sex dome was an important part of that. Pork therapy was an important part of that. Another part of that was, and this is something else I want to talk about was the big gay buzzes, big gay dance party. Uh, and this is something I was, I was a great time last year. I went to it. Uh, and it was a great time this year too. uh, some tremendous dancers. Uh, I mean, really seriously great dancers. Um, and just, you know, people, people just having a good time. Uh, I actually had a green balloon, um, sticking out from my shorts, uh, which, you know, there was my big green, um, yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's some pictures out there. Maybe I'll ask the people who, who may have been, um, you know, performing certain actions on, on my balloon of a, uh, <laughs> on my balloon, uh, you know, I'll, maybe I'll post them on the Tumblr page or something, or I mean on sovereigntech.com, which is technically a Tumblr page, but it's sovereigntech.com. And the, you know, so everybody was having a really good time. Everybody was joking around. People were dressed in really, really wild outfits. And, this is, you know, and when I contemplate that, the big gay dance party and the sex dome here, a, a lot of people were like, so, you know, so happy, especially at the big gay dance party. Uh, every year this happens the, the, everybody's so happy that there's so many people who, I mean, probably the bulk of the crowd at the big gay dance party are straight people. And to have them supporting LGBT uh, you know, actions or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, like the big gay dance party, or that they're just okay with the fact that people are gay is incredible. I mean, that's great. You know, how, how can you go wrong? But I want to take it a little bit further, uh, because why can't people, like I said, if you were there, you saw it, you saw how people were dressed, you saw how people were acting. Okay. And it was just a great, great time. And my question is, is why can't they parlay that person who they were inside the tent? You know, because the big gay dance party is in this huge, you know, big top tent. And parlay that into their normal life for the other 364 days and 364 and a quarter days of the year. Why can't they just let it all go all the time? And I, now I understand why I know how society pushes on people and, you know, pretty much makes them conform, especially if you want to even just make some money. Uh, 
you know, you've got it. You got to follow the company rules. You got to, you know, dress a certain way. Maybe even you have to wear a uniform um, and you can't talk about this and you can't talk about that. And, you know, so I, I get it. I, I know why. But equally, I wonder if people would even want to. And it, and it's almost like and, and I'm not the only person that that brought this up. There was someone else uh, who brought it up on on the episode of Pork Therapy that was recorded um, at, uh, you know, at, at Pork Fest. Uh, but, you know, do they just support LGBT issues for, you know, three hours? And then after that, they go back to, you know, saying, oh, you know, making comments like, wow, that's gay or, you know, all kinds of, you know, and just just going back into the fold. And if they had, like, say, a gay uh, a gay coworker who was being um, discriminated against, they would just like let it fly and they wouldn't actually support him outside of there. And yeah, I don't know. I, I get the feeling that a lot of these people would say, you know, no, you you know, this, so so what if they like if this guy like likes another guy, leave him alone. I have I have I really have the, the sense that most people that especially that attended Porkfest would do that. But again, why isn't like everybody kind of letting their inner freak out? That they allow to come out at, you know, at, at the big gay dance party. And I don't know, but I just, I'd really like to see that. And there's, there's places. And, and the reason I say, well, you know, cause you can say to me, well, you know, there's, there's over a thousand people there. How do you know they don't do that? Quite frankly, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of them and even on Facebook and they hide their Facebook accounts from their employers. A lot of these people use totally different names like, um, like something voluntarist, uh, Lysander Spooner, something, you know, some, some crazy name that their employer is just never going to look up. Okay. So there's no need for them to be prudish or socially conservative because I mean, the only people that are seeing it are, you know, generally other friends or family perhaps. So why not just let it go? You know, why, why not, why not let it all out? You know, why not have that big gay dance party be the order of the day? You know, I mean, yeah, you're not going to be dancing and having a good time. You got to go to work. Like I already said that. I know I'm saying that. Why, why does it still feel like in every circle, every other circle of the Liberty community, why does it all feel so conservative? Why does it all feel so socially, culturally Christian conservative? That's one I don't have the answer for. If you have any thoughts, please email me, SovereignTech at Hush.ai, or, you know, get in touch with me through G+, or Twitter, you name it. I'm all over the place. Go to SovereignTech.com. I'll be right back with more. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, and of course, I always want to play. Uh, Tech Roulette is where I get stories, uh, you know, from listeners who, you know, that you can send it. Again, I mentioned at the end of the last segment, SovereignTech.com, SovereignTech at Hush.ai, all over the place. You know, you can even, you can direct message me on Twitter. I've actually recently, I got to admit, I have been not just on this show, but on other shows, I have been particularly harsh towards Twitter, uh, partly because of the fact that when the government, when governments around the world tell them to take a tweet down, they do it. Uh, partly because I didn't really like understand it. 
I didn't get, you know, like, and, and a lot of people make this critique that, oh, 140 characters, uh, you know, you can't say enough in that. Um, I disagree with, with that comment. But bottom line being is that I finally, like, understand why Twitter is so amazing now. I totally get it. And it is so good. Uh, still love Google Plus. Still going to push Google Plus, you know, as much as I can. Um, I'm presently like like insanely busy right now. So I used to post quite a bit. I'm not I'm not doing that so much right now. Um, but like with Twitter, that's another advantage to Twitter. Actually, is the fact that like I can just tweet some you know quick thought and get that out there. I mean, Twitter to me like like now that I understand what it is, it's pretty much texting. And mass, it's like texting to the entire planet, and I think that's so cool. I love. I mean, I think texting's great. It's way better than you know, like actually in a lot. It's oftentimes it's way better than talking on the phone. Um, and I think there's there might be something to be said to the idea that if you can't say it in 140 characters, maybe you shouldn't say it. <laughs> you know, uh, but. Yeah, I, I just I think it's amazing. The hashtag thing is amazing. Um, the the it's perhaps the most next to Tumblr. It's probably the most uncensored um, social media platform that I've ever seen. I mean, there are so many porn stars with Twitter accounts and they actually tweet all the time. Uh, there's even a, a woman I saw on Twitter who she like she was at the tanning uh, at the tanning uh, you know salon and. I, I guess on Twitter they have something called Titty Tuesday, which is on Tuesday people post, you know, women post pictures of their breasts. And she's just in the tanning salon and she just, you know, posts a picture of herself, <laughs> you know, of, of her bare, you know, her bare breasts. And, and I was like, wow, you know, not so much that I need to see that. It's just a simple fact that a platform exists to where you can do that. You know, where someone who is comfortable with their sexuality can literally just let it out. Kind of like what we were talking about with the big gay dance party. So I'm really starting. I, I, I think I really understand Twitter now and I I'm becoming quite the fan um, for for many, many reasons. And if you want to know more about that, uh, you know, you can ask for we have the listener email section on uh which we'll be doing later on in the show on this show and if you want to know about more about my thoughts on twitter um let me know the because you know one other thing that's really great about twitter is that i don't think you necessarily fall into the uh the blank stare trap where you know you just you end up like just looking at it for hours and hours it, it the information's so so short and curt that you kind of can't look at it for hours and so so that's that's an interesting aspect to it as well anyway let's get into the 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 uh, tech roulette let's get into the the story that that we ended up eating mini mining mowing from the listeners and this is from uh, the institute for Ethics in Emerging Technologies. It's an interesting name. Uh, actually, this is from io9.com. So, and it's kind of, it's an older story. Uh, it, it's a good year old, really. Uh, but it's interesting. And it's prominent scientists signed declaration that animals have conscious awareness just like us. And we'll go, I'll go ahead and start reading the article here. Um, an international group of prominent scientists has signed the Cambridge Declaration of Consciousness, in which they are proclaiming their support for the idea that animals are conscious and aware to the degree that humans are. 
a list of animals that include uh, all mammals, birds, and even the octopus. But will this make us stop treating these animals in totally inhumane ways? While it might not sound like much for scientists to declare that many non-human animals possess conscious states, it's the open acknowledgement that's the big news here. The body of scientific evidence is increasingly showing that most animals are conscious in the same way that we are, and it's no longer something we can ignore. What's also very interesting about the declaration is the group's acknowledgement that consciousness can emerge in those animals that are very much unlike humans, including those that evolved along different evolutionary tracks, namely birds and some cephalopods. The absence of a neocortex does not appear to preclude an organism from experiencing effective states, they write. Convergent evidence indicates that non-human animals have the neuroanatomical, neurochemical, and neurophysiological substrates of conscious states, along with the capacity to exhibit intentional behaviors. Consequently, say the signatories, the scientific evidence is increasingly indicating that humans are not unique in possessing the neurological substrates uh, that generate consciousness. So what are the, what are the, how are they defining consciousness? What exactly does that mean? Um, not only, you know, consciousness is a funny thing because not a lot of people, um, well, no one actually science can't really explain consciousness. Uh, science, you know, goes for, and I've mentioned this on, on the show before, but you know, scientists go for, you know, they just, they get reeled for a loop. Um, when, you know, when, when they start talking about consciousness, because it's, it's such an incredibly difficult thing to explain. Um, and it's actually, it's very nature and maybe even where it comes from (laughs) there, there aren't any answers to that. You know, I mean, yeah, everybody wants to instantly say, well, it's the brain, but that answer is just assuming that's not actually proven. Um, but anyway, so it's important to ask the question with, with all these scientists saying, you know, what, what, you know, about consciousness and that other animals may have it. What do they mean by consciousness? And generally the idea that they're talking about, um, is that they have say emotions, um, or that they can, that they're not acting on instinct, that they're actually feeling like something, um, you know, that, that when, how to, I, I just had it and how to describe it. Uh, let, let's keep going with the story. Um, but the bottom line is, is that they're not just acting on instinct. Like they're actually developing learned, uh, learned behaviors, not like Pavlov, not like Pavlov. They're actually like figuring things out. Okay. Um, Consequently, say the signature, or yeah, uh, the group consists of cognitive scientists, neuropharmacologists, neurophysiologists, neuroanatomists, and computational neuroscientists, all of whom were attending the Francis Crick Memorial Conference on Consciousness in Human and Non-Human Animals. The declaration was signed in the presence of Stephen Hawking and included such signatories as Christoph Koch, David Edelman, Edward Boyden, Philip Lowe, Irene Pepperberg, and many more. The declaration made the following observations. The field of consciousness research is rapidly evolving. Abundant new techniques and strategies for human and non-human animal research have been developed. Consequently, more data is becoming readily available, and this calls for a periodic re-evaluation of previously held preconceptions in this field. Studies of non-human animals have shown that uh, homologous brain 
circuits correlated with conscious experience and perception can be selectively facilitated and disrupted to assess whether they are in fact necessary for those experiences. Moreover, in humans, no new non-invasive techniques are readily available to survey the correlates of consciousness. The neural substrates of Emotions do not appear to be confined to cortical structures. In fact, subcortical neural networks aroused during affective states in humans are also critically important for generating emotional behaviors in animals. Artificial arousal of the same brain regions generates corresponding behavior and feeling states in both humans and non-human animals. Wherever in the brain one evokes instinctual emotional behaviors in non-human animals, many of the ensuing behaviors are consistent with experienced feeling states, including those internal states that are rewarding and punishing deep brain stimulation of these systems in humans can also generate similar effective states systems associated with with effect are concentrated in subcortical regions where neural homologies abound young human and non-human animals without neocortices retain these brain mind functions furthermore neural circuits supporting behavioral electrophysical states of attentiveness, sleep, and decision-making appear to have arisen in evolution as early as the invertebrate radiation being evident in insects and cephalopod mullocks. Birds appear to offer in their behavior neurophysiological and neuroanatomy uh, a striking case of parallel evolution of consciousness. Evidence of near-human-like levels of consciousness have been most dramatically observed in African gray parrots. Um, Now, the article doesn't mention it, but there is a very, very famous parrot that, um, that, you know, couldn't, it didn't just talk. Okay, like it understood things. In fact, it seemed to even understand what death was. Um, And this is and and that's that's very, very important because it's one of those adages that's out there is that like only humans know that they're going to die. Apparently not, (laughs) you know, and, and so that's is that is that consciousness is knowing that you have a finite life consciousness. I'd say so, you know, but then you know, that everybody, I guess, is, you know, their, their opinion is different. Um, so, yeah, this is an older article and I'm bringing it up again because this is one of we do various specials on Sovereign Tech where it's not an it's not a usual episode. Um, it's something I'll release in the middle of the week. And it'll be about a specific topic, like the whole thing will be about one topic. And I did an episode about dolphins and actually uh, a a really, really dear friend um, sent me a response to to that to that special about dolphins. And are they actually should they be considered a person? And not just an animal, you know, because we're considered, you know, humans are considered persons. Should dolphins fall under that? And should they have some degree of rights? Not getting into the idea of, you know, do rights even exist? Because I'm open to the fact that they may not. Um, But I have not gotten to that email that will be coming up. That's going to be a special on its own uh, because it was such a well drawn out, thought out response to to that special that i made um that it really like in the listener email section of the show i've got about 10 minutes you know to 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 kind of bang out an answer and there's no way i could give this the attention that i feel it deserves um so 
be looking out for that if you're interested in this. But this, I, so, but this is why I thought the article, this article was very, very interesting. And that's why obviously I'm sure why someone sent it to me because it's bolstering the comment that I was making in the dolphin episode where I was saying that, yeah, I, I myself, me, Brian sovereign, I consider dolphins to be non-human persons. And now one of my personal rules just for me is that I will not take another person's life because I mean, for a multitude of reasons, but one of them being that I can't, how can I possibly gauge the value of another person's life? You can't, I don't, I don't think anybody can. Um, and in that, you know, so would I have to extend that, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that thought of mine, um, that, that rule, that personal guiding rule of mine to dolphins. And I said, yes, I won't take part in a dolphin being killed. Um, and would I even try to prevent it from happening? Yeah. I mean, if I was around or, you know what I mean? It's not something I'm not doing dolphin activism, activism, you know, and saying give dolphins rights or anything like that. I'm not doing that at all, but then I, I'm not necessarily doing that for humans either. I guess I kind of am, you know, but, but really this is, you know, the activism I do is for me to have freedom in, in my own life. It's not necessarily, you know, some kind of altruistic, uh, you know, action on my part. Um, so anyway, I mean, so this is interesting. This, this is stuff. This is an article that I could have brought up, uh, that I didn't in that special. And yeah, it, what is consciousness? You know, that that's, that's a hard thing because here's these scientists and, and I'll, I'll, I'll play a little, I'll do a bit of a critique here as much as I want to agree, you know, with, with these scientists or as much as I do agree with these scientists. Um, I also like in this article, there's a picture of an elephant. Um, there's, you know, in, there's in, in amazing amounts of evidence, psychological evidence that elephants like suffer from PTSD, um, you know, and all other kinds of mental conditions that most people just think are for humans. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm open to, to all the, you know, to, to many, not just dolphins, but many animals possibly have a degree of consciousness, but I'll play the devil's advocate here. I'm really not playing the devil's advocate because I have the question, but how can you make a declaration of consciousness like this article is talking about when you don't know what consciousness is or even where the seat of consciousness is? And I'm please, I'm not saying there's a soul. Okay. <laughs> please don't, don't, don't be confused. Um, you you know, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. Um, but if you don't know what consciousness is, how exactly can you, you know, necessarily like scientifically, again, we're talking about scientists here. Um, you know, how can you scientifically, you know, put it on to another creature if you can't very well explain it for yourself? Um, I mean, you can, like I do, you know, I am putting on the idea that yes, dolphins have, at least dolphins have consciousness and I will, my actions will be, uh, you know, will live up to that measure with them. But how do you do that with, you know, how do I'm not making like this, I, I am making a scientific case, but I'm not like this professional scientist coming out and saying, no, guess what? This is fact. This is like Isaac Newton with the law of gravity that these animals have consciousness. Um, how do you make that statement again when you don't, when you can't really define consciousness? So I'm a little skeptical on that. And also, of course, I'm skeptical on the fact that these people will want to, 
have like the United Nations charter protect these animals. Um, you know, I don't want to be protected by the United Nations charter. Why would I want them to be, <laughs> you know, if I don't want it for myself? Um, but you know, as far as consciousness goes, I'll, I'll leave you with a few thoughts on that. Uh, it's very, this is something I've, I've more recently been, been learning about. Uh, but it's very interesting that, and, and I didn't know this, but, but the heart, your heart, the human heart actually creates a significant electromagnetic field. And that electromagnetic field, you know, electromagnetic fields have effects on people. Now, I'm not talking about like, okay, well, you have a cell phone near you and it's totally messing with your metabolism. So don't sleep with a cell phone next to you. I'm not talking about anything like that. Okay. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, you do produce an electromagnetic field, electromagnetic fields on certain frequency levels, you know, can affect thought patterns. That's a fact. Okay. I mean, that's not woo woo science, you know, that's a fact. And I wonder if I think back and, and a lot of, a lot of people in the audience, I'm sure understand this because I think back to the ancient Egyptians, you understand why I do that (laughs) is my point. And with the ancient Egyptians, it's one of the odd things that they were so methodical when they would mummify people. But here's the weird part is that they would, they, they would essentially, they had these canopic jars with various gods on them. And, you know, they would put all these, you know, uh, different pieces of waste into these, uh, you know, into these canopic jars and they treated like the brain, like it was nothing. Like they would just, they, they'd essentially take the brain out and just toss it because it just, they, they didn't consider it to be worth anything. Now that's weird because in various hieroglyphs, you can see where the Egyptians look like they were doing like head transplants onto other creatures. But what they did, you know, so, so it seems like they understood where, what the brain did in that regard. But here's the weird thing. They considered the heart, the most important thing. And so is there a relationship with consciousness between the heart and the brain? There's a teaser for you. You can email me, SovereignTechAtHush.ai, if you want to know more. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where I cover various websites uh, that I consider useful or interesting um, or just, you know, sometimes it's even just something funny or it might be a really atrocious website, though I don't think I've done an atrocious website yet. So if you're wondering if I've done one like worth staying away from, uh, don't go, you don't have to go looking back to, to previous episodes of Sovereign Tech because I'm pretty sure I've, I've never done, uh, you know, one, one with an atrocious, uh, you know, that that's a terrible website. Um, this week, th- this is an interesting kind of a new service that's coming out. And it's called TrustCloud. And TrustCloud, you, you go to, to TrustCloud.com. And what it's trying to do is something that I think is very, very important, especially for the digital age, where you're, you know, we need to build up um, like reputation systems, okay? 
And sort of what they're saying, you know, with, with the idea of reputation systems is that we're kind of we're in a, like a sharing economy where people don't necessarily have to own something like, say, a car. You know, if, if you live in an area where, like, say, Keene, New Hampshire, where you can literally walk anywhere in within like a half hour. I mean, you can walk anywhere. Um you know, do you really need a car there? But then what if you wanted to go to Manchester for some kind of like Bitcoin meetup or something? Okay. You need a car. And so what trust cloud does, it gives you like, it creates this card and you can sign it, you log in, you make an account there and it starts creating for you via like data that you share and, you know, and, and, and all this, it, you really, you have to see it to believe it. Uh, <laughs> um, what it does is it, is it creates a reputation system so that when say, you know, kind of like Airbnb, if you know what Airbnb is, uh, that's been talked about on this show, Mike Elgin, who is a guest on the show, actually traveled the world with Airbnb where pretty much, you know, a person puts up a room and says, you know, and, and they get rated as they rent it out to people. And so is it a good room? And then, you know, they can make a lot of money if they're not there to, to use that room or even a full house. Um, and so, so this is very similar to that in that it creates this reputation system, but it's a reputation that system that works across, you know, across like all these different services. I mean, like eBay. Okay. eBay has, you know, has the, the, the seller uh, ranking seller score or a buyer score. You have reputation there. And that's very, very important. If a person has like 75%, you're going to be very, very sketched out by buying anything from them. And so trust cloud, trustcloud.com is taking that and just, you know, kind of putting it on steroids and having it work across all these different websites. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, I, you know, I think if you, you know, sign up for this, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, cause who knows where it could be useful. And, uh, I've heard people using this for parts of the Bitcoin economy. Um, I've heard people, you know, using this for, for all kinds of different things. Um, it's definitely something that, again, the digital age really, really needs, uh, because, you know, I, I don't think that there's like privacy in the digital world. And so the best, you know, one of the best things you can have is reputation. Um, and here, here it is. This is making your online reputation. Uh, is this something that's going to like be, you know, the hackers are going to take advantage of? Well, maybe, but right now it's more about sharing stuff than it is giving you something that you keep. Uh, so check it out. Trustcloud.com. It's in beta right now, but I think this may be a big part of the future of the internet because we don't know where the internet's going yet. We just don't. I'll be back with more. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Most guys enjoy their penis, whether it's soft or hard, but few understand what happens inside their penis as it goes from limp to ready for action. Well, the penis has three long chambers inside of it, Two of the chambers are responsible for making it hard or rigid. They're called the corpus cavernosa. They run parallel to each other up the shaft of the penis. Think of a double-barrel shotgun, and that's how they sit next to each other. These two chambers or cylinders are made of spongy material that are covered by a thin but extremely tough exterior. To get an erection, they fill up with blood. As a result, the blood pressure in an erect penis is way higher 
than the blood pressure in the rest of the body. The third chamber, which runs along the underside of the penis, is made up of a similar spongy tissue that encircles the urethra, or the tube that you pee and ejaculate through. And while this third cylinder expands during erection, it doesn't get hard or rigid like the other two tubes. If it did, it would crimp shut the urethra and there is no way a guy could ejaculate through it. This third column, which is called the corpus spongiosum, also forms the head of the penis. And as you might already know from personal experience, the head of the penis expands or mushrooms during erection, but stays relatively soft. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. It is time for listener email where I answer the questions that get sent to me through the various channels that Sovereign Tech provides. You can go to SovereignTech.com to find all of those. Or you can go to SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. And the really cool thing about SoundCloud is that at SoundCloud, you can actually, like, you you can post right on to the podcast. So, like, say you have a question about something I said on, like, minute 48 of episode 13 of Sovereign Tech. Uh, you can actually post right in that. I'll get an email telling me what you said and you can ask the question about it. And that actually kind of makes it easy for me because then I can look back and remember exactly what I said, because admittedly, you know, 28 episodes in and a bunch of specials and, and whatever else. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually, I, it's amazing, but I can't remember everything I've done on this show, like everything I've covered. Um, but anyway, so you can do that too, but let's get into this. This question actually came from, uh, from Google plus and it was, you know, just a, just a, a listener asking, Hey, you know, I have, here's a question for you. How did you get into, you know, technology? How did you, you know, and he was, he was asking, um, were you, and, uh, by the way, I keep you anonymous, uh, unless you specifically say, I want you to name me. Um, you know, I will keep you anonymous other than the he, she thing. That's kind of difficult to, you know, to keep from using pronouns. Um, but, you know, but he asked, you know, how did you get into technology? Uh, he also asked, you know, am I an IT professional? Um, am I an IT professional? Yeah, I, I was actually a technician at par technologies. Um, I also, I mean, I was more than a technician there, but I was a technician for a while. Um, in the military, I did a lot of it work. So, but I, you know, I never really went to like any, you know, I, I didn't do any college, you know, for, for it. Um, but anyway, so, so, so there, it's not like it was necessarily, I mean, I guess, yes, it's, it was a profession of mine. But that's not where, you know, where my passion came from. Um, but a fair question. And where those professions were, you know, available to me because of my passion uh, for technology, science and technology as a child. Um, the whole reason now we in, in my in, in the household I grew up in, uh, we always had computers. Now, I was born in 1981. Okay. And there was just, there was just always a computer around. If it wasn't an Apple, I mean, like there was even an Apple Lisa in the house. Uh, Apple Lisa in the house. (laughs) Um, there was an Apple Lisa in the house. Uh, there, you know, there's an Apple two. We had a Commodore 64. I loved the fucking Commodore 64. That may be like the greatest computer ever built 
what an ingenious device. Uh, I mean, this is totally, in fact, you know, you look at like the Mac mini that was, that was used to be really popular. I guess it still kind of is, but the Mac mini was just a total ripoff of the Commodore 64 and the Mac mini was said to kind of, you know, revolutionize and revitalize and bring Mac OS, you know, bring OS X to the people, uh, you know, to the average person. Um, the Commodore 64 was definitely very, very important in bringing, you know, computers to the people. So we had a Commodore 64, which again was just awesome. Now, all right, why real quick, why did the Commodore 64 bring computers to the people? Well, because the Commodore 64 could just hook up to your television. It didn't have to, you know, it didn't need to hook up to a special CRT monitor. Um, it could hook up your television. It was also really cool because you could kind of do everything on it. It had lots of games. It had lots of great, great games. This is before, you know, like DOS was the game system of choice, uh, you know, in, in the nineties, um, it had tons of tons of great eight, but eight bit games, uh, that you can actually, they're so popular that on the, Wii. Uh, the, the Nintendo Wii there in the, they had a virtual console where you could play like old games. There was an entire section for Commodore 64. That's how important these games were back then. So it was like the first computer that, okay, it was a game system. It hooked up to your, t- it could hook up to anything, had the keyboard built in all that. And, and it could do everything else that a computer could normally do. It could even connect to primitive forms of networking way back when which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, so the Commodore 64 was, you you know, that was like the computer that, that really said to me, um, okay, this is going to allow me to achieve my dreams, (laughs) you know? I mean, and I was like six years old, you know, six, seven years old, but I, I, I can readily remember thinking that, wow, with the Commodore 64, I can do anything I can draw because I have no artistic talent, but with the Commodore 64, I could draw a picture of a snowmobile. So, you know, albeit very primitive, but I could have, I could do it. And, and to someone at that age, you know, it's very important. Um, so, so there were, it was that it also had word processing, which that's the key, you know, I mean, and it had the video games, which obviously there's, there's a section of sovereign tech called game talk. And I've always called it my favorite section because I love video games. I really do. And so, you know, the Commodore 64 provided for video game playing, um, but then again, the real key was word processing because I wanted to write, I wanted to create my own stories. Uh, I wanted to, you know, writing was just so when I was really young was just so quintessential to me. Um, you know, cause I knew like, I, I mean, I've been reading forever, uh, as far back, almost as far back as I can remember, I've been reading and, you know, I, I wanted to create that. And so that's really in a lot of ways, what just, what got me into technology, what got me into computers was that this is the way to write because I don't have to buy paper. Um, I don't have to buy ink cartridges, you know, or, uh, or ink, um, now I forget what they call it on the, on the typewriter, but you know, I don't have to buy no parts required and my parents are paying the electric bills. So, you know, I just, I need this computer. I, I got to get that. And then everything from there out, you know, everything is just done digitally and I can do it forever. And so, you know, eventually I, I get a, a computer that's a 386. It was a 386 SX, um, which I later upgraded to a 486 DX and that, that computer lasted me for years. Um, and 
again, it all started. I learned DOS. I learned how to like, I even learned, okay. Initially it was just DOS. I didn't have windows three, one on there. Um, but you know, so we're talking the early nineties, but with DOS, you know, to, to do word processing on there, if you weren't using Lotus one, two, three, you had to use the DOS editor and which was great because that taught me how to like write in the auto exec that taught me how to write batch files that taught me everything I needed to know about, you know, how a computer operates, uh, was just from my desire to want to write stories. That's, that's it. That, that's how I, that's totally how I got into technology. Um, now one can say that, you know, I enjoyed technology, like say, you know, on Star Trek, um, which is also very, you know, quintessential in my life, um, you know, that I enjoyed Star Trek. And so I wanted to write stories about technology. So really my love for technology existed before I wanted to write stories or it's what made me want to write stories. Yeah. Maybe that's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. But, um, but, but that's, that, that's, that's what, again, my whole passion for, you know, how I got into technology, uh, how I got into, you know, doing so many different things with the, the technology field, not just like working in it. Um, but just, you know, say more paying attention to it to the point where, you know, I'm doing a, a podcast about it. Um, all that stems from just, you know, again, from the desire to write and, and video games, video games are important too, because, and you know, why, why, why would video games get somebody into technology? Well, back then, you know, if you wanted to in nineties, if you wanted to play the latest and greatest game, if you wanted the best graphics, cause you know, graphics used to matter. Uh, now it seems like, I mean, that's great that graphics don't matter anymore because really they don't matter. Uh, what matters is great gameplay, you know, um, like super meat boy is not a graphical powerhouse of a game, but it's one of the best games to come out in the past 10 years. Uh, so, you know, graphics don't matter, but back then graphics were like, that's like the first thing you talked about. Like there used to be a magazine called game pro and they would do, you know, listing like, okay, replayability graphics, sound, you know, all this stuff. Graphics was always the first one because that's what everybody cared about. How did the game look? Did it get close to looking real? You know, was, was everything really amazing or April O'Neil's boobs big enough in, uh, you know, in the turtles games. And that's actually a, a point of contention, but, um, so, so graphics were a big deal. And if you wanted, you know, if, if you, if you wanted, you know, you're talking to your friend again, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a kid at this point or even a teenager. If you wanted to talk to your friend, uh, you know, about games. I mean, you had to start talking about graphics and the best way to get graphics was not on the super Nintendo. It was not on the Sega Genesis. It was on PC. That's where you were getting the, the, the great looking games. That's where you're getting like the 3d games way before the PlayStation ever came out. Uh, you know, you're, you, you have your, uh, X wing, uh, tie fighter. Um, also, uh, the Blade Runner game that Westwood put out years ago, which is a, an incredible game. Uh, you had the Wing Commander games, which are just so epic in scale because, you know, I mean, how much of a story like I mean, there's exceptions like there's a Nintendo game called Chrysalis. If you haven't if you've never played that, check that out. Uh, it's, it's a great, great game. It's one of those hidden treasures hidden because it came out really late in the Nintendo's history. Um but it's an RPG and it, it tells a full story. I mean, it's really, really deep. Uh, but most games back then didn't do that as to where on the PC. Oh yeah. You know, the, the stories you could go forever because as long as your hard drive was big enough, uh, 
<laughs> you know, the, the game could just keep going. And a lot of times they would. Uh, you, you know, you'd get expansion packs. That was another exciting thing with, with, with PCs is that there was expansion packs uh, that, that, you know, okay, fine. You hashed out 50 bucks for the game. And, you know, and if you bought it for a console, it was over after that 50 bucks. You had to wait for the sequel. As were with PC, you know, a year later, you hash out 10 bucks and you get a whole new game. Because, you know, there's an expansion pack that runs off of the original one that you installed. Uh, so PC gaming was a big deal. And to, to game on a PC, you had to have some real technical knowledge. Like, I had to learn, if I wanted to play uh, Duke Nukem 3D in DOS, I had to turn off the high mem. Some, some of my listeners will know what I, what I mean by that. It'd, it'd take forever to explain it. Um, but I would have to turn off the high mem on my computer okay and you know there, there's a whole command line that you have to you know do to to, to make that you know to, to be able to do that um and and so so that just in the fact that i wanted to say play a game as well is what got me into you know is what got me into technology it's what gave me i was i was essentially forced i had to learn how to use this stuff at its bare bones you know, there was no steam back then. You, you, you couldn't just like say, you know, buy and install. You couldn't do that. <laughs> that, that didn't exist. Uh, you, you, you had to do some real work, uh, you know, to make a game work to, to, to be able to play a game on, on a PC. So that's, that's where a lot of my technical knowledge came from. Um, you know, so, so all of it was just different desires. You know, I wanted to play these incredible games that were only on PC back then. Uh, and so I had to learn a lot about computers to be able to do that. And I wanted to write stories and, you know, roundabout, I ended up having to learn a lot about computers to do that too. Um, also like, you know, I'll admit to this when I was, I don't know, I guess 12, 13, 14, like I actually, I used to write a, I actually, I wrote erotica back then. Um, like with comic book characters and things like that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been a, a perv forever. And so I wanted, I obviously didn't want, you know, there, there was, I mean, there was always a few computers in the house, but there was always like that one main computer that everybody kind of used. And I needed to hide that from my parents. So again, learned a lot about security and computers that way. <laughs> Anyway, hope that answers the question how I got into te te into technology. It's all about passion. Now we're back on more. Hey, look, got an energy spike. Launch. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. 
It is time for Software of the Week, where I cover various uh, pieces of software that um, you know I find useful. Or now I'm going to add a little something to it, where it may be a piece of software that I'm intrigued by that's being released and that maybe I haven't even really used yet. Um, so this kind of falls under a tech roulette because this was actually submitted to the Sovereign Tech Belnea. Um, and you can find that it's a community on Google Plus. Uh, I love Google Plus communities; just amazing things you find there. And this was shared by a you know by a listener, a member of the Balnea, and it's from TechCrunch. And its new iOS app lets you record what you heard five minutes ago. Whoa. Uh, have you ever wished that you could record something that already happened your kids first words that perfectly timed comeback the email address your boss told you to to have those important documents sent to within the next 10 minutes if only there was a way to record the important bits of your life without having to record all of it that's the idea behind herd that's the name of the program h-e-a-r-d a new app for ios herd constantly records the audio around you into an ephemeral self-destructing buffer saving only those fleeting moments that you deem worthy once you open herd it immediately begins recording everything within earshot of the iphone's microphone rather than dumping all that audio into one incredibly boring and incredibly long file though herd records into a constantly rotating buffer if something happens that you just have to save you pop into the app and tap a single button boom it's saved do nothing and the and the buffer is erased that audio instantly disappearing into the digital either uh herd will continue to record audio even when running in the background albeit with a big old red recording banner placed up at the top of your screen once recorded clips can be named tagged emailed or shared on facebook herd just launched last week and they're testing a freemium model to begin with out of the box the free app records up to 12 seconds of the past not a whole lot but enough to help you wrap your head around the concept pay $1.99 for the bigger audio buffer in app purchase and you can bump the recording buffer up to 30 seconds one minute or five minutes now before you shout oh my god spy app nsa prism ah think about it if someone is actively trying to record you saying something incriminating this wouldn't be a very good app for it it would offer no advantage in that case over ios's built-in voice member recorder which like this app can record while running in the background or even a cheapo tape recorder but multiple disadvantages the five minute limit the need to tap the save button without anyone noticing uh still anyone using the app should always make sure everyone being recorded is fully aware in some states not doing so could get you into sticky legal situations you can find herd in the app store uh so there herd uh this is really really interesting stuff and you know, I agree. If someone's like instantly thinking, oh man, they're spying on me and they're recording it all, why wouldn't they just do that on the fly with, you know, the microphone in iOS anyway? You know, just do it. You don't need an app. You don't need a specific app to do it. Um, this is merely like maybe you using something that maybe the NSA is already doing. Fine. Uh, but I, I thought it was very, very interesting, uh, you know, to. And I have no idea, uh, and I haven't found any reviews on it, on to whether or not, um, you know, how it drains the battery. Now, again, it's only been out barely a week, this article's from June 23rd, 2013. Uh, so I don't know. But I'm, I mean, the microphone maybe wouldn't take that much battery. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So, so that's the only thing. If you have it, like, running all the time. Um, and I, I'm glad that it has the little bar across the top. I'm sure somebody will write a script so that that goes away if you have a jailbroken iPhone. Um, 
you know, to where it's saying that, yeah, you know, this is recording. Um, but I can see this, this could be pretty useful in police encounters. Uh, I mean, this is a technology that like, there's that, what is it? Freedom cam that they, that, that gets touted on free talk live. This, this could be used like that. So not a bad thing in my opinion. I, I, I'm very intrigued to see how this goes. And if I get my, if I get to use it, I'll give you a review. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, uh, where, yeah, I talk about the thing that, as I mentioned in the listener email section of the show, um, is one of, you know, games are one of the things that, that got me into technology. Uh, and, you know, and, and that I, I still very much enjoy. Uh, it's interesting, you know, why do people like love video games, especially kids? Why do they love video games? And I think part of it is, is that we live in a society that, that really shelters us uh, quite a bit, you, you know, from, from everything. It shelters us from outside, you know, don't, no, don't go out the door. Uh, I, I mean, there's so much of that going on. And video games create an interactive world in which you have freedom. How can a kid not want that? How can a kid not want to just jump on it, you know, and, and put their entire heart and soul into something that essentially lets them live for once, you know, and not in fear because they have, you know, they have control of their actions. They, they, they have control of what's going on, whatever. Uh, and, and so I, you know, a lot of people ask why are kids into video games? I think that's a big part of it is because they're so controlled by society at large, you know, and they're so held down from doing anything that actually matters to them or that they'd want to do, uh, that video games open that up and say, Oh no, I can take action. Uh, which is, which is, you know, I mean, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> Sad, you know, in a world where, you know, kids were free to do it, to more or less do what they wish and to develop into, you know, adults, uh, would video games be as big a deal? Yeah, they probably still would be, but it might be for different purposes and who knows what those games would even look like. Uh, this article this week is from Kotaku and speaking of, um, society at large holding people down. Uh, the story is alien anal probe gets St. Saints row four banned in Australia. Oh my <laughs> yesterday news broke that saints row four had been refused classification by the Australian classification board. And we've just received a copy of the report. According to a statement from the classification board, the game was refused classification as a result of implied sexual violence. Now we can confirm that the report states the following. The game includes a weapon referred to by the applicant as an alien anal probe. The applicant states that this weapon can be shoved into enemies' backsides. 
The lower half of the weapon resembles a sword hilt, and the upper part contains prong-like appendages, which circle around what appears to be a large dildo, which runs down the center of the weapon. When using this weapon, the player approaches a clothed victim from behind and thrusts the weapon between... between the victim's legs and then lifts them off the ground before pulling a trigger which launches the victim into the air. After the probe has been implicitly inserted into the victim's anus, the area around their buttocks become pixelated, highlighting that the aim of the weapon is to penetrate the victim's anus. The weapon can be used during gameplay on enemy characters or civilians. In the board's opinion, a weapon designed to penetrate the anus of enemy characters and civilians constitutes a visual depiction of implied sexual violence that is interactive and not justified by context, and as such, the game should be refused classification. Uh, The report also made mention of the use of illicit drugs. The game contains an optional mission which involves the player obtaining and smoking drugs referred to as alien narcotics. Smoking the alien narcotics equips the player with superpowers, which increase their in-game abilities, allowing them to to progress through the mission more easily. According to the report, these are the two main reasons why Saints Saints Row 4 has been refused classification. Now, it's being refused classification. That's kind of like in in the United States. We have the ESRB. um, And, you know, that's where it says, like, you know, who is what age group is this good for? And if a game in Australia gets refused classification, that's essentially saying it's rated X. It's triple X. And no parent will essentially, or almost no parent essentially will buy, will allow a kid to have that game. So it's effectively banned. You know, the, the phraseology in, in Australian law doesn't say that it's banned. Um, it just says that, you know, Hey, um, you know, this isn't, we, we can't give this a classification. Nobody should dare play it. Uh, which, which is ridiculous, you know, outright (laughs) i mean it really is all it takes is someone like kotaku to do a report and just say that you know well hey wow this is interesting in this game review um you know in in the game review that say kotaku would do they would mention that there's well you can actually take a, a dildo you know and shove it up someone's ass and send them a flying uh you know and that would be enough you know, there doesn't need to be any government action. No one has to say, oh, this is banned or this is not going to get classified because it's just far too, far too crass, far too, you know, outlandish. Um, you know, that that's just not necessary. And parents would know, you know, or if you're of the Christian bent, all it would take is for World Net Daily or whatever that's called. Um worldnews.net or something it's like a christian news site uh i'm i'm so so happy that i can't remember the name of it um you know all it would take is for them to to announce it and guess what every parent that wouldn't want their kid to play this because of an anal probe they'd know <laughs> really they'd know and, and and you'd say well what if they don't have the internet and they don't know you have a playstation 3 and you don't have the internet Really? At least at some point, somewhere, you don't have the internet? I understand when you have, like, data limits, but, you, yeah. Anyway, um, so, you know, I mean, that, that that's ridiculous. Now, am I for, you know, alien anal probe or weapons that, um, you know, 
that <laughs> that get crammed up a person's ass, you know, involuntarily. Uh, am I supporting that? No, not at all. <laughs> okay, uh, I I do admit that that's kind of offensive. Um, I get the humor of it. And in fact, on the, on the article, and you can find the article in the show notes, uh, there's a picture that I know very, very well. And it's a picture of Cartman from South park, um, on, on a, a, a medical table and when he was kidnapped by aliens. And I think that if I'm not mistaken, that's like the first episode of South park. That's why I know it so well, because like, I, you know, when everybody first saw South Park in the 90s, everybody was like, whoa, what did I just watch? So it was pretty memorable. Um, and so, you know, and it was it was it would I'll admit I laughed. I laughed very, very hard at Cartman having an anal, you know, having a, an alien anal probe uh, that would come out of his ass every time he farted. So, you know, I can get the humor behind it and the Saints Row games, they're not serious at all. They are completely outlandish. They're designed to be that. I mean, you can, they're the ultimate in sandbox gaming. Okay. It's not, it's not even like Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto, sandbox gaming means essentially you can do anything, uh, you know, in the game and that you don't even like really have to like play the mission or the story. You can just do whatever you want. Um, and this was popularized by grand theft auto, but grand theft auto had like a point and there were limitations, real world limitations as to where it was saints row. And they're on the fourth one. Now it's a very popular series. Saints row has always been just ridiculous. Like the, the, I mean, it's almost, it's not to the point of Gary's mod, but it's pretty close to where you can just invent the, the most insane things, you know, and there, the laws of physics no longer apply. Uh, there no laws apply, which can be exciting in and of itself. Uh, and you know, so, so it's meant to be a crazy game. And, you know, I, I don't want to be on the fine line of this and say that, well, you know, if you don't like the alien anal probe, you don't have to buy it from the store in the game. But, you know, I mean, that's that's there, <laughs> you know, that that is a fact and it's true. Uh, the other interesting thing is that that they're caring about drugs being in the game. I'm I'm kind of shocked because almost every Space Marine game that comes out and there's plenty of Space Marine games, be it Halo or whatever. Halo might not do this, but plenty of the other ones do where they have stim packs where it's essentially drugs, you know, to make military soldiers better. Oh, I guess the government doesn't have a problem with that. They just don't like the idea of alien narcotics that give you superpowers that, you know, in this unlawful world of Saints Row 4 that, that lets you do all this stuff. I mean, that's crazy. There, there was even, you could eat mushrooms in, in Rise of the Triad in 1994, I think it was. I mean, come on. They, these things have always been there. Anyway, just the ridiculousness of governments and behind the times. I'll be back with more. Are you searching for a mouthwatering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden delicious, low-carb, gluten-free almond cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Bakaba. Hacker Stories 
It is time for Hacker Stories, where we cover security issues, where we talk about some of the real heroes of the planet, that being hackers or even some IT professionals like a guy named Snowden, uh, you know, who's really all over the news right now, uh, that being Edward Snowden. Um, real quick, a comment I haven't seen anybody really make is, and I understand why you don't want to make it because it sounds conspiratorial, but I find it interesting that all this Edward Snowden stuff comes out while Bradley Manning is effectively on trial. And there's very little news coming out about that just because like all the, you know, news, you know, all the news organizations are all concentrating on Edward Snowden now and why that is, Hey, I don't know. It's just coincidence, I guess. Um, this article is from the blog Buzz Machine, and it is it does have to do with Edward Snowden. It has to do with more the journalism side of things, and it's by Jeff Jarvis, who's a, a you know really great um, a journalist himself. Really, uh, he's also a writer. Um, he's a he's a professor as well, I believe, and he's well known for being on this week in Google on the Twit Network. That's twit.tv. If you ever if you <laughs> If you ever want to get some really great tech podcasts or, you know, watch some actually some awesome television, um, you can go to twit.tv and you're just going to get tremendous, uh, you know, tremendous entertainment and, and really information too. You're going to learn a lot. Um, so Jeff Jarvis wrote this up and I, and I want to read it. It's from June 17th, 2013, and it's all journalism is advocate advocacy or it isn't. And I, I just I thought this was this was, uh, you know, really interesting. Jay Rosen wrote an insightful post forking the practice of journalism into politics. None that is traditional American journalism uh, objective, it thinks, and politics. Some that is the kind just practiced by Glenn Greenwald and The Guardian. So the idea that, you know, there's some journalism has to do with politics and other journalism, you know, puts politics into it. Uh, Jay catalogs the presumptions and advantages of each as both he and the New York times Margaret Sullivan observe Edward Snowden took his leaks to Greenwald and the guardian because they exemplify politics. Some I want to take this farther and argue first that Greenwald that what Greenwald and the guardian were practicing was less politics than advocacy. And second, that all journalism is advocacy or is it journalism? To the first point, Greenwald and The Guardian were not bolstering their own politics in the NSA story. To the contrary, Greenwald and The Guardian both identify politically as liberal. The Guardian's mission is to be nothing less than the world's leading liberal voice. Yet they attacked programs, the attack programs run and justified by a liberal American administration and no doubt caused that administration discomfort or worse. In so doing, Greenwald and The Guardian exhibited the highest value of journalism intellectual honesty that does not mean that they were unbiased it means that they were willing to do damage to their political side in the name of truth greenwald and the guardian were practicing advocacy not for politics not for their team but for principles protection of privacy government transparency and accountability the balance of power and the the public's right to know now to my second point Seen this way, isn't all journalism properly advocacy? And isn't advocacy, and on behalf of principals and the public, the true test of journalism? 
The choices we make about what to cover and how we cover it and what the public needs to know are acts of advocacy on the public's behalf. Don't we believe that we act in their interest? As James Carey said, the God term of journalism, the be all and end all, the term without which the enterprise fails to make sense is the public. When the Washington Post, whose former editor famously refused to vote to uphold his vision of Jay's politics none ethic, meaning they're not involved in politics, chooses to report on government secrecy or on abuse of veterans at a government hospital or, of course, on presidential malfeasance and cover-ups, uh, it is, of course, advocating. When an editor assigns reporters to expose a consumer scam or Wall Street fraud or misappropriation of government funds, that's advocacy. When a newspaper takes on the cause of the poor, the disadvantaged, the abused, the forgotten, or just the little guy against the man, that's advocacy. When health reporters tell you how to avoid cancer or even lose weight, that's advocacy on your behalf. I might even argue that a critic reviewing a movie to say to save you from wasting your money on a turkey... Uh, could be advocacy, though we don't necessarily need critics for that anymore. Um, but what about a TV station uh, sending a crew or a helicopter to give us video of the fire du jour? A uh, tragic accident with no lesson to be learned. Is that advocacy? No. When a TV network, not to pick on TV, devotes hours and hours to the salacious details of, say, the Jody Arias crime, which affects none of our lives, is that advocacy? No. When an online site collects pictures of cute cats, is that advocacy? Hardly. But it is annoying. I, that's me saying that. <laughs> anyway, when a newspaper devotes resources to covering football games, is that advocacy? No. Is any of that journalism under the test I put forth here? No. So what is it then? The stuff we call journalism that doesn't advocate for people or principles, that doesn't serve the public need? At worst, it's exploitation, audience, or sales, or click, or ratings bait. At best, it's entertainment. The first is pejorative. The second need not be as entertainment. Uh, whether a journalistic narrative, or a book, or a show, or a movie can still inform and enlighten. But if it doesn't carry information that people can use to better organize their lives or their society, I'd say it fails the journalism test. Journalism as, journalism as advocacy has been bundled with journalism as entertainment for economic reasons. Entertainment can draw people to a media entity and help subsidize the cost of its journalism. But it was a mistake to then put an umbrella over it all. If a newspaper creates journalism, then everything its, journalism, its journalists create in that newspaper is journalism, right? No. The corollary, people who are not journalists, can do journalism. It's a function of the value delivered, not the job title. Uh, why does that seem like a definitional hair splitting matter? Because when a whistleblower knocks on your door, you must decide not whose side you're on, but whom and what principles you serve. This is a way to recast the specific argument journalists are having now about whether Snowden is a hero or a traitor. Wrong question. As a journalistic organization, The Guardian had to ask whether the public had a right to the information Snowden carried, no matter which side it benefited, so long as the public's interests uh, in terms of security were not harmed. I disagree with that. But anyway, the, the next issue for The Guardian was whether and how it adds journalistic value. That is, of course, another journalistic test. Edward Snowden, like WikiLeaks, delivered a bunch of raw and secret documents. In both cases, news organization added value uh, by using judgment to redact that what could be harmful, bringing audience to the revelation, and most important, adding reporting to this raw information to verify and explain. 
Based on this, on his Q&A with the Guardian audience, I'd say that Snowden is proving to be big on rhetoric and perhaps guts, but less so on specifics. I still am not clear uh, how much direct operational knowledge he has or whether he, like Bradley Manning, simply had access to documents. So more reporting was and still is necessary. This Associated Press story is a good example of taking time to add reporting context and explanation to Snowden's still unclear and still debated documents. Both these organizations made their decisions about what to reveal and what to report based on their belief uh, that we that we have a right and a need to know that's journalism and that's advocacy. Brilliant. A couple finer points I disagree with in there with Jeff Jarvis, like the idea that, well, you know, I mean, if information's raw data, there's no need for that really to ever be so much covered up, especially uh, by governments because they're going to hide the worst stuff in the world. Right. Um, but anyway, this is this is fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, and, and, and I love the idea because this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Hackers unleash a lot of this information that tells us that the government is doing something dastardly to us. But hackers can't necessarily like Snowden, like he's saying with Snowden, Snowden's not like putting out, you know, like he's not not disseminating the information well, but he's just providing it. And that's where we need people like podcasters and, and, and journal, like you were saying, journalists, advocates who can push out this information that the hackers collect. Very, very important thought. I'll be back with more. Oh, yeah. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. It is time for pick of the week where I get to choose pretty much anything I want to talk about. And it can be like, it could be a movie. It could be a TV show. It could be a comic book. It could be a piece of software. It could be a piece of hardware. Um, could be just a topic that I find really interesting. Uh, it can literally be anything. Of course, one could make the argument that the whole show can be about anything that I want it to be about, but that's not entirely accurate because there's a lot of sections to the show that I give you, or at least there's a couple where I give, you know, the, the listener audience control of the show. 
on what they want to, you know, what they're interested in and what they want to hear. And I consider that very important to do because this isn't just, I mean, yes, I make the show, you know, to be very entertaining to me, but I want it to be entertaining to you as well. Um, and so with pick of the week this week, before I get into this week's pick of the week, and it's a great one, um, I've gotten feedback about sharing what, what's called Star Trek Continues. You can find it at StarTrekContinues.com, where this this group of fans are very, very excellent filmmakers of fans um, are making, uh, you know, new episodes of the original series of Star Trek, you know, new actors, obviously. And I've gotten feedback from people and some of the people are just writing back in, you know, or, or even, you know, coming up and talking to me and just saying, thank you so much for telling me about that, because that just made my month. And I am so happy to hear that. Please do not hesitate to send me little bits of feedback. If I don't get back with you right away, you know, um, it's all right. It's just, <laughs> you know, but, but that doesn't mean that I'm not listening. I read every email. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad people have enjoyed that because I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, it, 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 quite frankly, it touched me very deeply. <laughs> I'm being very serious when I say that when I, when I watched Star Trek continues, it was that good. Um, you know, and, and that well done. So anyway, let's get into this week's pick of the week, which happens to be another television show. Um, and it's one, I don't believe I've talked about, and it's one, I don't believe I've talked about before, uh, or at least I've not done it for pick of the week, but it's definitely a show I've talked about. And in fact, I even think it's almost become a way of, um, I've noticed now I co-host uh, Sunday nights on free talk live and I noticed that some people will call in and start talking about Spartacus. And so <laughs> the, the television show, the recent television show that actually just ended this year uh, called Spartacus. Um, and I've noticed that some people will call in and like say, I am Spartacus. And so I wonder if they're kind of giving me a direct shout out, <laughs> you know, like, like saying, yeah, Hey, Hey, you know, Hey, Brian Sovereign, uh, you know, I, I listen to your stuff and if so, thank you. That's very kind of you. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm more than willing to keep running with it. Um, but anyway, that all comes from what I consider to be one of the, you know, now there's an ad in the show for Babylon five, which is, I, I consider, you know, the greatest show in television history. That's exactly what the ad says. Um, but Spartacus kind of takes it to the next level. It's not better than Babylon five, because I don't think you can walk away with, uh, you know, with, with as much, um, you know, kind of intellectual weight as you can, uh, from, from Sparta or, you know, Spartacus doesn't have as much intellectual weight as Babylon five does. doesn't have, doesn't have nearly as much story, uh, partly because of course, Spartacus is to some degree based on events that really happened a couple thousand years ago. Um, but the show is what it does offer is it offers what I consider pretty much the finest raw entertainment. Again, you know, not a whole lot of intellectual weight. There's some of that. There's certainly a lot of emotional weight. Um, but it, it offers the finest entertainment. I, I think that, that, you know, not, not even just television, but really movies or any visual medium has ever provided. Uh, it, it treats, it is a show 
and 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 it's kind of it's kind of a kind of an anachronism for me because it is an incredibly violent show and i am not a violent person by any means um and but i do enjoy this show but it's not i don't enjoy it for the i really don't enjoy it for the violence i imagine there's people who always say that sort of well i'm not into the violence uh or like there's people who say yeah i read playboy for the articles i don't look at the pictures or whatever no i watch spartacus for the sex you know, and, and I, you know, I, I watch it for the, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm saying I, you know, I'm reading, I'm looking at Playboy for the pictures, I guess you could say. Uh, but my, my point is, is that the reason that the show I consider such incredible entertainment is because it is outside of the, the, the incredibly violent nature, but bear in mind, it is depicting an incredibly violent time. Um, you know, and, and it's depicting very, you know, in, incredibly unfortunate events. Um, so it's not being like, holy, like it's not, it's not being violent necessarily for violence sake. Yes, that's part of it. But, um, but it, it I mean, there's a point to the violence because, you know, historically this is what happened. Anyway, the, the point I'm getting at, the main key to, to why I think Spartacus is so great and such incredible entertainment is because it is, it is the first show that I've ever seen that is on the next level of cultural consciousness, I guess I'll say, of cultural... Uh, I'm not exactly sure what word I want to use there. But it takes it to the next level because, like, there, there's gay characters. There's tons of gay characters. There's bi characters. LGBT, you know, it's LGBT alphabet soup everywhere. And they don't treat it like it's a big deal. Like, it's just normal. That's how it is. Like, okay, guys, fuck guys. Great. Do it. You know, and they show it. They have no problem with it. Um, there's points where, you know, people are just masturbating. Out of nowhere, they're having a, you know, major conversation of a matter of trade and they just start masturbating a husband and wife, you know, they're, they're there. And unfortunately they're slaves again, historically accurate, but you know, the slaves start masturbating them or whatever. So there, there's just, there's no, there's literally the phrase, no holds barred. There are no holds barred. They just, whatever they want to show at the time they show and they don't care. There's no concern over verbiage. There's no, there's just no concern. Everything is, I mean, they just let it ride. And that is so rare. Okay. We talked about South Park earlier. That's one of the big, big things about South Park. Remember what South Park was the first show on television, I think to say bitch or, or fuck, or is one of those, one of those words that was never, ever able to be said on television before until South Park did it. And they made it such a big deal. Well, here's the beauty of Spartacus is that it does everything you can imagine and it doesn't care. It just does it. You know, that, that's what I mean. It's on like the next level. It's actually, okay, what would a show look like in a free society? Well, it'd probably look like Spartacus. Um, and it is a show that has a lot to, unfortunately, you know, it, it, it is a show that has a lot to do with human freedom. I mean, that, that's, that just runs through the whole show. No doubt about it. In no uncertain terms. I mean, they're very, very clear on that. They are wanting human freedom and that every, every human has the same rights as any other human. Uh, so there's, there's some really good messages there. No doubt about it. albeit kind of simplistic, but they are simple messages. That's why they attract everybody. Um, and 
you know, so, so that, so there, that's, there, that's in there, but I wouldn't want to say that, oh, you know, it's, it's like a libertarian show. I wouldn't make that, that claim at all. Um, but, but that, you know, that, that, that kind of message is, is a part of it. Uh, but again, unfortunately they want that human freedom at the price of blood. And, uh, you know, that, that's something I don't agree with at all. Uh, but you know, as far as entertainment, incredibly entertaining. Uh, the actors are fantastic. In fact, uh, the main, the lead actor who played Spartacus, Andy Whitfield, he died from cancer at the end of the first season or well, not they made a, a prequel show because he had cancer and they didn't know if he could come back for the second season. They wanted to give him time to heal up because the show was at least somewhere is really popular. I don't know where, because I, I can't, I can rarely, other than the people that have called into free talk live and have kindly said, you know, I am Spartacus or whatever. Um, I can't find anybody else that's seen this show, which blows my mind. Um, so, but apparently it was very popular again. I don't know with who, uh, other than me, but it was a very, very popular show. And so they, they really, they wanted to do, you know, they, they needed, they knew they needed to do a second season, uh, but they, they couldn't get Andy Whitfield right away. So they did a prequel series. And during the filming of that prequel series, um, they, which is like six episodes, Andy Whitfield died and they got another guy, I think, uh, Liam McKnight or something like that. Uh, he came in. And he, he did a fine job. He did as good. Otherwise, most of the actors stayed pretty much the same. Um, but I mean, you definitely, you really, especially with season one, season one of Spartacus is so, so good. Uh, you get very used to Andy Whitfield's performance and when it's not there, you definitely notice. So, but the show ended up going four years. Um, and it, it, it was, it was great. Uh, you know, again, sadly, it just ended. Um, but but it was a, it was a great great show. Uh, it, I wish it went on for ten years. You know, and and even though it took a lot, of, is it is it one hundred percent historically accurate? No, not at all. And of course, how could how could it even could be? I mean, you could base it off of like loose things that um, uh, that were done. And or you know, loose, loose things that we know from history that were written by, you know, other Romans, which that's the whole story of Spartacus is that Spartacus is a slave and he's trying to, you know, and he becomes a gladiator and he's trying to free himself from, from being from slavery, which he considers to be wrong. And he convinces other, other slaves that it's wrong. And so there's a slave rebellion that literally happened, you know, over 2000 years ago. Um, and so, you know, it reminds me of the, the one a thing that, that Ridley Scott ran into when he was making Gladiator, the movie Gladiator, is that people wrote to him and, you know, and said, it's like, oh, Romans didn't, uh, you know, have these fire pits where they would light all their arrows on fire. And Ridley Scott's just like, well, how do you know? Were you there? And so, you know, again, the, the whole idea that you have to be like, you have to have absolute fidelity to history is not really possible. And I think is not, is, is kind of a, a crazy, um, you know, precept to put on somebody, but, uh, an interesting note. And I bring this up all the time because again, like I said, I definitely enjoy the show for its rampant sex and they made, they made a porn. Um, one of those like, like parody porns that are very popular right now. They made a porn of Spartacus, uh, lots of big actors, Tommy Gunn, all that. And I, 
<laughs> it's I watched it and it it didn't the show has more sex than that movie did and the movie's the porn <laughs> I mean that's just what more do you need to know <laughs> you know as as far as like okay really how much sex does this have and so the other two the other two points I want to bring up is that everybody talks about Game of Thrones like it's some kind of big deal that it has tons of sex in it does not obviously like I just stated it does not compare to Spartacus and the other thing I wonder is is that why isn't like the LGBT community really, really into the show? Because again, it treats, it treats, you know, being gay, like that's our, that's totally normal. Why wouldn't you be, you know? So anyway, Spartacus, check it out. A uh, million ways to get that show brand. You know, it's relatively new. Hope you enjoy it. And I will see you next week on Sovereign Tech. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. Nerds.